Coming up today on Eagle Eyes on Tech, the truth behind the Twitch hate raids. What was with the follow bots and all of the details that I've been able to find. Activision Blizzard is sued for label violations, this time on the federal level. Apple announces a letdown of a phone and announced that they actually care about the iPad mini and much more. It's all coming up today on Eagle Eyes on Tech. We also have uh, the PlayStation 5 cooling system breakdown and internet lasers. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, North Sermon Ray, this is Eagle Eyes on Tech. I am Eagle Falcon. I'm changing up the format a little bit today. Normally, the way I structure this podcast is that I put the big security stories first, then the cool product announcements, and then the weird, wacky stuff at the end. However, I'm going to put the security stuff off a little bit because I want the first thing that comes up today. I want the first thing that listen that you listen to today to be in regards to the Twitch hate raid scenario or situation, I should say. So here's how things have been this past week. Last weekend, Twitch announced that they sent out a lawsuit against two users, both of which across the pond. All right. Afterwards, the only bot activity you saw out there were follow bots. Most of which using some corruption of the name Hoss00312. And either going ahead and like replacing O's for a zero or a zero for an O or throwing some symbols at the end or putting some ominous message at the end of it saying lives or is out for you or something of that nature. That was the only activity we have seen after that. But we've seen that that follow bot activity during the time of the hate raids as well. I also talked about here on the podcast about how these accounts really were just follow bots. My original suspicion was that they were following everyone to try and get as many follow backs as they possibly could. And then eventually sell the account, change the name for profit. That was my original assumption. I have evidence now that suggests that the intent was not profit, it was malicious. Because on Monday, it was brought to my attention that the user Hoss00312 is not just a random string. Hoss 
is a Twitch streamer. On September 12th, when the account was brought to my attention, Haas gave the following statement. Since August 22nd, I have been the subject of bots, hate raids, hate spam, etc. My name has been used to create hundreds of fake accounts. I have answered countless DMs to people who either want to show support or who believe I have something to do with all of those. I have seen some of the names made and whoever and who, whoever I assume is doing this is clearly a part of this community and clearly don't like me. They have started going after those who I care about, who have supported me through this. I am done. I am out. Whoever is doing this, you win. Enjoy your life. The F word, F word ending with ING, loser. Thank you to everyone who showed all the report you, I'm sorry, all the support you have. I really do appreciate everything. I have tried to reach out to Haas to try and get an interview. Unfortunately, I found out about the account account too late. The actual Twitch account for Haas is gone. I am unsure at this time whether Haas themselves has deleted the Twitch account or if it was reported into oblivion by people who gave in to fearful rumors on social media and Twitch took the account down. I am unsure at this time which it is. Since Haas has made this message I have confirmed with a, I will just say a moderator who has been at the front lines of the whole hate raid situation that's pretty much Almost all follow bot activity has stopped ever since Haas put out this message. I have seen it myself. I actually tried to do an experiment since last Sunday to actually see if what Twitter was saying was true, that there are still hate raids going going around. I could not get myself hate raided. And I tried. I tried all week. The best I got was I got a couple of follow bots on Sunday. Since then, silence. Nothing. And sure enough, I cannot find any fresh screenshots of hate raids going on on Twitter. And pretty much all chatter the issue has ceased. So what can we take away from this? One, this whole platform-wide issue, as far as we can tell right now, was, in fact, 
caused by just two individuals exploiting the account creation system and being able to create thousands upon thousands of accounts automatically and then just using various ASCII symbols to bypass every swear filter on the planet. There probably were more than two, but after seeing the lawsuits go out, they went dark. But I'd say it's still safe to assume the entire hate rate situation was only caused by a handful of people. Now, this is one of the reasons why I wanted to get in touch with Haas to see if he knew of either of the two account names mentioned in the lawsuit to see if the hate raids and what happened to Haas were related. At this time, it does not appear to be. They appear to be two completely separate incidents. On a personal level, I do feel really, really bad for Haas because he was the victim of a personally targeted attack. And it is hard to deal with. I myself had a rather targeted hate raid style attack a few years ago. And it lasted for months. Every time we'd start, I'd wonder, hey, do we have to get the band hammers ready? Are we going to have to go ahead and have all mods ready to just be ready to silence the attacks? Hey, if we're playing Jackbox today, am I going to have to worry about these malicious actors getting in and just ruining everyone's good time? It's a very similar to what happened to Haas. The only difference with Haas is that he was targeted on a much, much larger scale. It would not surprise me at all if his attackers were the ones that started the rumors on Twitter that all of these bots impersonating Haas were using IP trackers, because that was one of the biggest rumors going around, that Haas was related to the hate raids. That if you've been followed by this bot, you're targeted for a hate raid. And if you go visit the account, they're going to have your IP and dox you, which made no sense. His screen name is now dead. Most likely, this man, or woman, or whomever, will never attempt any kind of online entertainment ever again. And I'm not going to lie, I have no idea if the guy or gal was good at it at all. Because every single bit of what Haas was before this whole incident is now dead. Never to be seen again.
But in the end, the hate raids appear to be over. The follow bot attacks, gone. So that means that every single Twitch streamer out there can now sit happily and just stream without a care in the world. Right? No. The vulnerability, as far as I can tell, still exists. The issue that we talked about last week, about how chatting with an unverified account is off by default, is still an issue. The account creation system has not been tweaked at all. So it is safe to assume that anyone who just has it out for Twitch and saw how effective the hate rates were can just pick it up again. And when push comes to shove, if your own channel is attacked, like mine was a few years ago, like countless others were, in the recent in the in the recent history it is still up to you as the streamer and the moderators that have volunteered to help you to keep everything in check so you should have a plan for the worst case scenario in place Because in the end, just throwing up a hashtag saying do better Twitch, you saw how quickly it got a response. In the end, you, as the streamer, are in control of your own community. And I actually would strongly recommend that... One of the first things I would do, and I saw way, way, way too many streamers not do this, make your follow alerts anonymous. Because that's one of the first things that's exploited by trolls. Just ha- having hateful account name.exe show up on your follow alert. You can keep the follow alert. Just do what I've done. Take out the part that has the name. That way you prevent that method of troll attack. And those that just want to follow you and know when you get, when you go live, aren't called out. That want to remain anonymous, that want to remain as lurkers. That would be the first step I would do. The other thing I would do is on your Twitch control panel, head on over there, go to settings, go to moderation, 
And then the third box down where it says chat privileges. The first thing it says, email verification, check it to be on, which I have just, just done just this minute because my experiment experiment on trying to get hate rated to see if they were even going on is now officially over. And, it, and, and I, I, I still do feel bad for Haas because in the end, he probably was the biggest loser in all of this. Even a bigger loser than Twitch was. Before we move move off the topic, though, though of Twitch, um, there is some good news in all this. A report by Billboard says that Twitch and the National Music Publisher Association are close to signing a music licensing deal that could put an end to most, I want to stress this, most of the DMCA issues that have been going on on the platform. Now, I don't know the details, unfortunately, of the deal, since, you know, it's a deal that's in the works. It's not one that's out there yet. Don't start blasting Disturbed or uh, Nine Inch Nails on your Twitch stream just yet. Wait. It's just a report that a deal is in the works. But the fact that the DM, that, that the DMCA, that the National Music Publishers Association is willing to talk is already a good sign. Just because... These sort of record labels, the one reason why I said this issue will never go away when the DMCA issues were coming up is because the record labels never want to talk. They just want to go ahead and just be as big of colossal jerks as they possibly can to either get payment or just because they like throwing their weight around. The RIAA especially just absolutely loves to throw their weight around. And that's pretty much why copyright music is not allowed on YouTube. And I thought that, well, since copyright music being the way of the dinosaur on YouTube is pretty much how that ended up, I figured the same thing would happen to Twitch. However, if this report is true, hey... Maybe we're in the clear. This actually could be good news. Which then kind of brings us to uh, every single streamer and their mother that decided to abandon Twitch and head to YouTube. Remember what I said when the issue first came up about how Tim the Tatman got signed over to YouTube and is this a good time to go over there? Now's the time, right? What did I say? I said no. 
because you don't know if this really is going to be the end of Twitch or not. Look how much of a difference one week has made. The hashtag Twitch do better, gone. It is history. The sad thing is that that whole controversy vanished with the sacrifice of one streamer. Like, let that sink in for a second. Hosses surrender to the trolls saved the rest of Twitch because it ended the fear-mongering on Twitter. And then on top of that, the other big issue, the DMCA strikes, also looks like it could also be coming to an end. But I still stand by the statement I said last week. Hope for the best, be prepared for the worst. Have a backup plan just in case. Because I always think about it too. Even though Twitch is just a hobby for me. And even podcasting is just a hobby for me. Always have a plan. Whether it be to take advantage of an opportunity. Like leaving the speaker platform and going to Anchor. To drastically reduce my upkeep for doing this podcast or whether it be because the Twitch platform is now so toxic that being on it is detrimental to you as a streamer and the brand that is you and going over to YouTube or face don't go to Facebook or going to um oh god what's the other one I now feel bad that I don't remember their name Altier Always have that plan ready in the back of your mind because you never know when over the course of a couple of days you might have to pull that trigger. We're going to take our first break here. I think I'm actually going to upload this segment onto YouTube on my actual YouTube page at youtube.com slash eaglefalcon. I'll make that decision later. But when we get come back... We're going to go ahead and talk about the update to the Blizzard lawsuit. And of course, eventually we do have to get to the Apple keynote and everything that was announced there. Welcome back, Eagle Eyes on Tech. I'm Eagle Falcon. A new lawsuit has been fired against Activision Blizzard. But this one, while on its surface, seems like 
a footnote. And it really does. This one is organized by Code CWA, and it is basically saying that Activision Blizzard engages in coercive, intimidating behavior and anti-union behavior. So whoop-dee-doo. Activision Blizzard has yet another lawsuit piled on the other lawsuit filed by the state of California, which is a much bigger deal. And both of them talk about terrible behavior against the employees, harassment, and all that sort of jazz. So what's the big deal? Why is this one worth mentioning at all? Because it's federal. The reason the California lawsuit couldn't escalate much further is because it is just the state of California filing a suit saying that Activision Blizzard has broken California labor laws. But that just means it's a state issue. Only the state of California is going to get involved unless the state of California can prove that federal laws were violated. And then also the state of California has to find reason to escalate it to a federal case. This lawsuit has now brought federal law into the question. Now, federal investigative units can get involved. Now, the FBI can get involved. And now, the federal court system can get involved. This now went from having the weight of the state of California coming to bear down to potentially the weight of the federal government coming to weigh down on Activision Blizzard and the way it treats its employees. And then on top of that, on top of all that, remember that whole story we talked about a few weeks ago? about how the state of California accused Activision Blizzard of destroying evidence? Well, now that can be used as federal obstruction of justice charges against Activision Blizzard. This black eye of Blizzard's It's now getting to the point where it's big enough. There ain't enough makeup in the world to cover it. This, even though it doesn't seem like it, can be a huge underline, huge escalation of uh, the downfall of the of Activision Blizzard. Because now that it's a federal issue, now that it's no longer, oh, California doing crazy things. Oh, boy, here we go again. Even if the state of California doesn't find anything that no fines are issued, even if federal bodies aren't able to prove anything that there's no issue, 
you look up Activision Blizzard now, these stories, these accusations are everywhere. Let's pretend for a second you're Activision Blizzard. And while we're at it, let's also pretend you're not evil. All right? You have all these stories about you now. And you want to go ahead and launch Overwatch 2 as your new esports title. What brand is going to touch you for sponsorships on your esports events? When you got stories saying that internally you try to bust up unions and deprive employees of the ability to voice their opinion. Or that your management tries to intimidate employees into not raising issues. This is a big, big problem. And it's not just in the esports world either. Right now, nowadays, as much as we don't want to admit it, the biggest advertising method for brand new games is streamers and influencers. The whole concept of showing a good trailer at, say, an E3 or any kind of trade show like that, nowhere near as effective in this day and age as it was in the past. The biggest thing that sells games right now are big streamers and big influencers. I'm not trying to toot my own horn because I know in the influencer world, my opinion has very, very, very little weight. But it's the truth. What influencer wants to touch a Blizzard game right now after hearing about binge drinking and cubicle cr crawls happening within the studio? They don't want that taint on their hands. More and more have been flocking away from that. And again, before you could try and wash your hands clean of it going, oh, the state of California, they keep going ahead and accusing big, big things. But now that it's possibly going to go federal, it is much much harder to try and put those thoughts in the back of your mind. It also doesn't help at all that right now, Activision Blizzard, as far as the quality of their games, I mean, look at what they've done right now. You have World of Warcraft that, for the life of itself, cannot get out of its own way and just puts out bad mechanic after bad mechanic and then backtracks it, and then undoes all the work that everyone worked on for it. You have Overwatch 2, which, as far as everyone can tell, is just Overwatch 1. 
And then while then, as someone just mentioned in the chat, while World of Warcraft's trying to figure out how do we save our public image, they're just randomly censoring images that no one ever noticed in the game doing very regressive things actually like making portraits of women wear more clothes literally no one cared but here we go at at least that painting of that woman over there is now wearing three shirts you did it blizzard progressive I heard someone in the chat mentioned one of one of the uh, pictures was just replaced with fruit. I did hear about that. I can't I can't remember what the image was originally. But it is just dumb. That is the best way to just phrase it. The methods that Blizzard is going at to try and save their own face is dumb but getting back to the point of the state of blizzard you have you have world of warcraft that that is just in this point of realizing they messed up but unsure how to fix themselves and then censoring themselves oddly enough You then have Overwatch 2, which, as far as everyone can tell, is just Overwatch with just some mechanical changes. Basically, as far as everyone can tell, Overwatch 2 is just a really big patch of Overwatch 1, but you're being charged full game price for it again. Good job. StarCraft 2 and the StarCraft franchise in general just seems to be dead. Heroes of the Storm appears to just be dead. Hearthstone is being used as a tool to sell more subscriptions to World of Warcraft, which is also a new degree of sad. Diablo still wonders if people have phones. All the while, they have a massive PR nightmare on their hands. But it's okay. Because that one picture you never noticed is now an orange. Good job. A plus number one. But if you think the censorship that... uh, blizzard is doing right now is bad they got nothing underline nothing as china views all of gaming as a disease chinese regulators are now slowing game approvals as a new line of censorship laws go into effect in the country of china So you kind of remember how not too long ago, or maybe it has been long ago. I don't know. 
once again, 2020 has absolutely ruined my sense of time. The year 2020 did last 20 years, right? But in any case, remember back when um, Blizzard kind of censored their own, uh, one of their own Hearthstone broadcasts because uh, one of their top players made a message about uh, freeing Hong Kong? But they did everything in their power to make to make sure that everyone involved was severely punished. Because they want to make sure their game was doing well in China. Well, now, now look at what your loyalty to China has brought you. Massive censorship laws. And... A, slow, a slowing of sales and also making sure that uh, your target audience, teenagers, can only play a grand total of three hours a week. Spread across three days. That's it. And more signs point to China cracking down even harder as their current government just views video games as a addictive disease. Wow. I can't swear on this podcast. But I'll let you fill in the blank. This is a big example of karma being an itch. I'll let you fill in the missing letter. I have no sympathy at all to every single gaming company especially Blizzard who went out of their way bent over did everything they could to make sure they were in China literally everything and their payback Is the rollout of your game being slowed drastically? The content of your game being regulated drastically? That male characters inside your game must underline, must be very masculine, which means China will never know the glory of male Vieras from Final Fantasy 14 feels bad and that's your reward enjoy your reward absolute scum both the China government party responsible for for the 
censorship laws in the first place because they are absolutely hilariously outrageous. The fact that a governmental body is going to these levels of extreme to be this big of thought police in the realm of video games, which is in fact a realm of art. And the fact that everyone, underline everyone, just absolutely had to get their hands in the China pie. Yeah, it's a big pie. But man, what a rotten pie you just stuck your hand in. Meanwhile, Wikipedia has banned seven users that were infiltrated by a Chinese group that were going out of their way to edit countless Wikipedia articles to delete, to delete quote, slanderous information about China. So now not only does China want to go ahead and censor a form of art that I am 100% in favor of, but they want to go ahead and censor actual source of information so that they don't seem as bad. Again, I go out of my way to not swear on this podcast. But uck off. Wow. Just. Wow. Slow. Freaking. Clap. Staying in the eastern side of the world, South Korea has fined Google 207 billion. I have no idea what that currency symbol is for forking, for quote, forking up attempts at Android variants. So Google, of course, owns the operating system Android. Android is a open source operating system TM. Someone in chat says they're called one. I'm not sure if that's actually the case. Is that actually what the case is? But basically the registrar says that the South Korea's fair trade commission has fined Google 207 billion local currency or the equivalent of 177 million USD for abusing its market dominance over the mobile operating system by prohibiting forks of Android. Do we actually have a confirmation that won is in fact the Korean uh, currency? I, I, I legitimately don't know. And won just sounds like it was just made up on the spot. I'm not accusing the person in chat of lying. I just legitimately don't know. <laughs> but I digress. And then my phone won't shut up. Really won't shut up. 
In fact, actually, why don't we go ahead and actually ask our Amazon Echo that you can't hear because it's not wired into the podcast. Echo, what is the currency for South Korea? It is in fact, it it is in fact called Won. All right, it actually is a hundred percent correct. But getting back on point, it actually isn't all that surprising that this kind of claim has has come down. I'm more surprised it took this long. I mean, it's been no secret that even though Android is open source and anyone can go ahead and take the open source code, fork off of it and create a new operating system, Google has gone out of its way to pretty much not allow it. Even though on paper, it's totally doable. Kind of like how it's totally doable to take literally any other electric car and with an adapter, plug it into a Tesla supercharger. It should totally be doable. And Tesla says, yeah, you totally can do it. Guess what? It doesn't work. Surprise. Similar things, but not quite happen within Google and Android. Now, will this make Google change its mind? Eh, probably not. It's not fair to say 177 million USD is a drop in the bucket to Google. Because it is, you know, it, it is a large amount of money. But I don't think it's enough money for Google to change their mind about easing up on their attempt to restrict the open source-ness of Android. That being said, Android 12 supposedly coming October 4th to a phone nowhere near you. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm not going to lie. I actually forgot all about Android 12. This update's actually supposed to be pretty big too. Like a lot of big, uh, visual UI changes are supposed to be coming. But you know what the biggest shame about Android updates is? Unless you have a Pixel phone or you went and modified the bootloader on your Android phone yourself, you know you're not going to get stock Android 12. You know whatever you're going to get from Android 12 is going to be radically different from what it actually is. Yeah, chat chat reminds us that, uh, by the way, if you went ahead and did that uh, installed your own bootloader thing 
and you had a Samsung phone, you're SOL, which means you have no camera. Which, by the way, if... We'll get to the Apple announcements later, but if the Apple announcement have taught us anything, we are getting closer and closer to smartphones just basically being that meme Nokia Windows phone that was just basically a giant DSLR that ran Windows Phone OS. Just a massive camera that also, by the way, it can also make phone calls. We are very clearly moving in that direction. Where this massive camera bumps, the only thing that really, that really differentiates one cell phone from another. Unless you're looking for a headphone jack, in which case, uh, good luck. It's not impossible, but it is a challenge. Someone in chat says, if we don't get a camera, does that mean that, that TikTok will go away? Oh man, I wish. I really wish. Someone in chat says that Sony phones still have a headphone jack. Good. There needs to be at least one now that now that LG is gone. Stick on the top of Google for a moment. The Tensor chip that's rumored to be in the Pixel 6 is rather interesting for one big, big reason. Right now, most flagship mobile processors have a three-set CPU design. They have a handful of cores at a low clock speed, 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 for long battery life. They have a set of high clock speed CPU cores for performance. And then they'll have one CPU core at a really high clock speed. That's the current makeup of pretty much every flagship processor out there right now. Unless you're Apple, then you just assume that it's made of pixie dust. Because that's apparently how Apple do. What's interesting about the uh, rumored Tensor chip that's going to be in the next Pixel 6 is that it's using the same design, but remember I said there's one CPU that has, or one CPU core that has a really high clock speed? This rumored chip has two that are in the really, really high clock speed. Why does that matter? I don't know. But it's interesting. It What it could mean, actually, is that if there are tasks that require that much, much, much higher clock speed like we're talking close to three gigahertz on a mobile phone the google pixel 6 will be able to have 
two CPU cores work on that task instead of just one. So it could mean that this Pixel 6 could be a performance monster. But of course, as someone in the chat mentioned, it also means a shorter battery life. It also, also means potential cooling issues. There's not exactly much cooling you get in a cell phone. In fact, the overall majority of most cell phones have no active cooling at all. Heck, this phone I'm holding right now, this S21 Ultra, what do most people do with their phone? They put it in a case like this one. That case is an insulating layer. If I go ahead and do anything crazy with my phone, which I don't really go ahead and do any tasks that would really push the CPU to like crank out a ton of heat or anything like that. I actually prefer to play my games on a real platform and not Android. I'm sorry, mobile gaming is still a sin. But the thing is, is that the only place for that heat to go is through the screen or through this camera bump that's conveniently uncovered. Where's the cooling going to go on a Pixel 6 if now you have two high clock speed CPU cores in addition to everything else? Yeah, this can be an issue. And you can go ahead and try to say that, oh, hey, don't worry. We're going to go ahead and put a... Or, yeah, we could go ahead, like someone just mentioned that. We can go ahead and just have a heat sink and a fan. Maybe you're going to have to have an active fan built into a case. The thing is that we already know how the Pixel 6 looks. There's no vent. But let's pretend for a moment it is. Which phone are you going to buy? Are you going to get the Google Pixel 6 that has a vent and a potential ingress point for water, even if they have all the, all the IPS certifications and whatnot? Or are you going to go ahead and get an iPhone that you know your friend has dunked into the toilet several times while doing terrible videos on TikTok or whatever? When you're talking about a device as expensive as a cell phone, which unfortunately, as much as I hate to admit it, the cost of cell phones are not going down. You're going to get the one that's more likely to last. This could be a big problem for Android phones. If more and more we try to go ahead and say to heck with actually trying to manage the inferno of of the arm chip 
we're just going to go ahead and make it run as hot as possible and just say, hey, if you put a case on this, you're doomed. Or, hey, here's a giant hole in your phone. Hot air is going to go over there and you're going to hear as the fan ramps up. While it's interesting that Google is pushing the limits of what we think right now is good ARM design, I foresee some serious problems. Although, you know what could be a solution? How many of you remember the uh, Red Hydrogen 1? The Red Hydrogen 1, for those who don't know, was an Android phone made by Red TM, the cinema camera manufacturer. And it was a phone that was uh, very subpar, to be perfectly honest. The cameras weren't all that great because they sourced it from a different company. It was very gimmicky with like a 3D display that wasn't even that good. And no one bought it because it was a $1,500 phone that had last year's specs. But the thing of note here is that it had a very industrial phone uh, design. The whole phone was aluminum with like a rubber grip on the edge. It had raised edges on the back. How long until Android phones need to go ahead and have that kind of design? Because it needs to have the aluminum back to be the whole phone's blasted heatsink. Hopefully I'm wrong, though. Hopefully... I am wrong. We're going to take another break here. When we come back, we have some Windows 11 news to get to. As well as, of course, I'm not trying to just tease it until the very end. We do have the Apple announcement to get to. Welcome back, Eagle Eyes on Tech. I'm Eagle Falcon. So, Windows 11. There's actually quite a bit of Windows 11 news this week. So, first things first, there is speculation that Windows 11 may in fact breathe new life into your old PCs that are allowed to run it. Simply because the optimizations of the hood can bring better utilization to the hardware that's in it, as well as better battery life, thanks to more aggressive and more effective sleeping methods. To which, yeah, there, that's it's possible. I might be able to see a 3% improvement on, you know, my Windows 10 tablet running Windows 11. I think that's very possible. I think that... Uh, under the right settings, that battery life could be improved from Windows 10 to Windows 11. But um, here's my counterpoint. With the extensive restrictions that Windows 11 
continues to put on what will and won't run Windows 11, what device do you have that you want better battery life and performance out of that Windows says, yes, you can install Windows 11 on it? Because we keep getting these mixed signals. Everything must have a trusted platform module. It must run a processor that was made within the last two or three years. And not just any trusted platform module, but trusted platform module 2.0. Okay, cool. But let's be honest. That thin and light laptop you just got last year. You're not concerned about battery life and performance right now because everything feels buttery smooth. You care about improved battery life and performance on, say... A random Windows laptop you found in a used lot that's six years old. Or a used Lenovo tablet you found in a used lot that's four years old. But these devices aren't officially supported by Windows 11. And won't receive the majority of the features. Simply because the processor wasn't made within the last two years. So yeah, great claim. But who cares? This would be like saying, hey, you know that brand new Prius you got? With this firmware up to actually, no, that's a bad example. I can't think of a good example for this. Because no matter what it is, you'd be able to measure the performance. I'd say that of the electric car comparison, but let's be honest, in the, in the world of an electric car, you would do anything, literally anything in the world to squeeze a few extra miles out of the battery because range anxiety on an electric car is the biggest issue. In the end, it's just not measurable at all. Kind of like the heat difference between the PS5 models. So either last week or the week before, I literally can't remember when. YouTuber Austin Evans discovered that there was a shift in the design of PS5 models. The newest edition of the PS5 uses a different cooler than the PS5s at launch. In fact, there is a decent chunk of metal that's just not there. And what is there has been redesigned to, for the most part, fill that void. I said at the time, looking at the coolers that there probably isn't going to be a measurable di difference or even possibly 
the new one is just more efficient just on the grounds that I see more heat pipes bringing more heat to the biggest cooler, causing the thermometer to read that heat sink as hotter, but in the end is wicking away more heat away from the SOC. Well, Tech Jesus has come from on high and has come down on his channel, Gamers Nexus, and has come to the masses and said, why can't you people let me sleep? And then after accepting his destiny that he needs to go ahead and do as much extensive testing as possible with the help of Digital Foundry, he has found that the new design runs about two degrees hotter. At most. But doesn't show any significant signs that it's going to perform any different at all. And in fact, that other components run cooler than the old model on the inside of the new models. And for those wondering, yes, we're talking Celsius. The only thing that actually could be an issue is in fact that the main system on a chip, this is the heart and soul of the PS5, does run a little hotter and potentially down the road that dust could cause a drop in performance in the PS5 if enough of it built up that this issue could present sooner on a PS5 on the new PS5s I should say If only there was some way to just take off the side panels of the PS5 that are not attached with any screws and take a thing of canned air and dust out the PS5 while it's unplugged. Nah, that's, that seems impossible, especially the way I just mentioned. Oh, wait. You should just do that thing I just said. Yeah, as long as you just don't suffocate the PS5 in a glass enclosure and inside a cabinet, let the frickin' thing breathe, and clean it once a year, you're, you're fine. Which, before you go, I don't want to do that, I'm going to go source one of the older ones. Guess what? You should do that on the old one too! You should be doing that on the PS4 too while you're at it. I'd say anything with a retro console, you should be doing it on. The only reason I don't say you should do it on a retro console is because, let's be honest, the retro console's heat output is roughly the same as this water bottle. Most uh, Some people in the chat are, are mentioning, you know, the biggest problem with the PS5 is that they don't exist, right? Yeah. Yeah. Feels bad. 
And that's probably the main reason why this cooler change happened in the first place. To get the cost of manufacturing them down so that we could actually get one. What a crazy concept, right, guys? Quick update from, from Mozilla Firefox. They have adjusted how their browser is going to work so that they can get around the clunky multi-step method of switching browser defaults from the virus known as Microsoft Edge to literally anything else. Yay! It's ridiculous. Meanwhile, in the world of virtual machines, Windows 11's TMP 2.0, that's the trusted platform module, apparently is now bricking virtual machines. Virtual machines are now no longer being allowed to run Windows 11 unless you go ahead and virtually create the trusted platform module 2.0 crypto processor. So those of us who are hoping that, hey, I can squeeze a little bit more life out of you, HP Z Workstation Z440, you and I are going places. You and me will squeeze another six years of life out of you yet. It's looking more and more grim for the HP Z Workstation Z440. And other pieces of very usable technology that are being considered obsolete. People in chat are saying Linux. I now, now, I don't want to, I don't want to learn. I don't want to learn penguins. I don't want to. But that being said, don't worry. Windows 11 performance improvements will help. Woo. I apologize. I didn't realize I had a duplicate article in there. But, you know, software doesn't help at all unless you get some hardware to go with it. And, of course, the GPU shortage seems to be going on for way, way longer than any of us want to admit. But don't worry. NVIDIA has the answer. By releasing the RTX 2060 again, but this time with 12 gigabytes of RAM. I am thoroughly depressed that a three-year-old GPU actually could be a good thing for those who just want to finish their PC builds. But you know what really you know what really saddens me? You know what's going to happen. The GPU 
might launch for 300 bucks, which is already going to be an insult that a three-year-old GPU is going to sell for what it did supposedly new. But you know what's going to happen. It's going to happen to every single GPU that is launched. Not enough are going to get made. They're going to sell out and they're going to be found on eBay for $800 for a three-year-old GPU. Because this entire scalping nonsense shows no sign of stopping. And I wish I was wrong. I really, really do wish I was wrong. Meanwhile, at AMD, they're looking at the possibility that they're just going to end up going ARM. AMD is, is looking into, they haven't said they're going to be doing this yet. By the way, I should also state that uh, the statement I just made about the RTX 2060 is a rumor. It is not definitely going to happen. I did realize that I didn't stress that enough. That it's potentially going to happen. I'd say it's too stupid to happen, but I thought it was too stupid that NVIDIA was going to make an RTX 3080 Ti that would have less RAM than that. How much does the RTX 3080 have? 10? 10 gigs of RAM? That 2060 would have more gigs of RAM than the 3080. Like, let that sink in. But AMD is accepting that perhaps they might have to go ahead and make ARM chips in the future. Which... Like I said earlier with Twitch streaming, you should always make plans just in case things don't go how you hope they will. You never know what's going to end up happening. Will x86 just become obsolete in a couple months? Will Windows 11 just be such an abysmal failure? Everyone abandons it and moves over to macOS or Linux. Or worse, macOS and Android. Android-powered desktops. Oh, no. There's all, as someone mentioned in the chat, it's possible that uh, x86 gets replaced by Risk Five instead of ARM. So it doesn't surprise me at all that AMD is preparing to make ARM chips instead. Always be prepared. Kind of like how AMD was actually prepared with a patch for a chipset vulnerability that uh, leaks passwords. Woo! 
yeah. Um, that's a thing. So, um, if you are running an AMD uh, chipset, you should probably check to see if there's a pat- an update for that chipset. Not the worst idea in the road, uh, down, in, in the world. Now, the patch was released several weeks ago, so there is a chance you have already downloaded it if you're up to date on your on your updates. The flaw exists in Ryzen 2000, 3000, and 1000 series chips. I am unsure at this point if it is an update that you have to go and get from AMD itself, or if this is one that can be issued through update applications like Windows Update. The latest chipset update is from. I actually had to glance at that uh, at that number because the person who put it in is from across the pond, and they use a different date order than we use here in North America. The last chipset update was on the thirteenth of September. Yes, I know the way that that dates are done over in Europe makes more logical sense. Just like I know that metric is a, is an easier measurement system to remember over Imperial. Guess what? I still I still know the I still know I st- freaking everyone everyone around here still uses the worst method, and we just have to deal with it. Aside of that, you can just learn both, like I have. It's honestly not the worst idea in the world. Now, I want to talk for a brief moment about this little number here. AMD Epic, this is their server processor shipments, take up to 20 more weeks to be delivered compared to the compared to Intel Xeons. You want to know why adoption of AMD Epic, despite the fact that it is a far superior CPU compared to Intel Xeons is harder? Why Intel still has the market share? This is why. It's because Intel can make Xeons faster than AMD can make the Epic processors. A lot of this also has to do with the fact that Intel has their own fabs. And AMD is still relying on TSMC, which is drastically overloaded right now. And oddly enough, this actually also is a related story to... Final Fantasy 14. What? How? Final Fantasy 14 last night just had a, what they call a live letter letter from the developer. It was in fact a big, and by big I mean long, 
presentation of Final Fantasy XIV's game developer or game director Yoshi P. And I forgot what position the other guy that was with him was. But basically, go, both of them going over all the various changes that are going to be coming with their latest expansion pack and Walker. One of the things that was mentioned was that one of the biggest sought after features in the game right now, which is data center visiting. Unfortunately has been postponed. Data center visiting, which was supposed to be a big feature of Endwalker, is not going to be in the game at launch. Part of the reason being because there is a massive influx of players that have fled World of Warcraft and joined Final Fantasy XIV instead and has flooded the current server infrastructure. And one of the reasons that Yoshi P has cited that the congestion problem has not been solved yet is because they cannot get their hands on the server equipment to increase capacity. One of the biggest desires when it comes to enterprise-grade servers is density. You want as much compute power in one server, in one rack, as you possibly can. What's funny is to anyone who doesn't know anything about IT, if I were to mention a term like blade servers, one of the first thing that pops up in everyone's mind are massive, underline massive towers of computers. Blade servers aren't bigger than standard servers. They're smaller. The whole point is to be able to put a ton of servers in as small a space as possible. And right now, if you're Final Fantasy XIV and you want as much compute as you possibly can in your data centers, you want AMD Epic. Because 64 cores on one chip versus 28 on an Intel Xeon It's a no-brainer. But the fact that the fabs cannot produce these chips that fast, that is the biggest problem. And as I've mentioned in the past, and as someone just mentioned in the chat, on each one of these blades, I guarantee you, they're going to have two sockets. But let's pretend for a second that you can only get one AMD Epic socket in a blade. Which that wouldn't surprise me at all, to be perfectly honest. If on a server blade you can only get one AMD socket, 
versus two Intel sockets on a blade. One AMD socket still beats out two Intels. That's how far behind Intel is, but the fact that AMD cannot get over their production issue because TSMC is so overbooked right now, it's a big, big problem. But again, this is also assuming that a game like Final Fantasy XIV is using x86-based servers to power their game. When is this going to change? Because that is one thing that keeps coming up. Whenever we talk about the silicon shortage, when will it end? We don't know. There's thoughts of next year. People are now saying it might not change until 2023. But right now, TSMC is trying to go go ahead and build new fabs. Someone in the chat says that these fabs aren't supposed to go online until 2023. And the unfortunate thing is that the price of silicon is going up. Which then, of course, you look at Windows 11 and the fact that they're pretty much forbidding to the point of saying, hey, you can't install Windows 11 unless it's a PC that's two years newer or or otherwise. Well, that means I need to go and hunt down a new computer if I want to get left in the dust. Oh, wait. The price of those all went up because of the silicon shortage. Fun and exciting. We're going to take another break. God, we have taken... This is going to be a long podcast. Holy cow. We're going to take another break here. When we come back, we're going to go ahead and cover the Apple event. And hopefully we can actually get the rest of our topics in as well. Welcome back, Eagle Eyes on Tech. I'm Eagle Falcon. All right, so Apple had their California streaming keynote presentation thing, which I'm not going to lie. I don't know why exactly Apple decided to give a big sloppy wet kiss to California in uh in the start of their podcast or not, yeah their podcast their uh their presentation 
it seemed very out of place, very odd. And if there was anyone but Apple, I'd ask them to please blink three times if they're under duress. I suspect it had something to do with the recall that um, was going on at the same time. But I don't know. This is a tech channel, not a political channel. So first up, the iPad was updated. And when I say the iPad, I do have to clarify because there are now three different flavors of... Actually, how many flavors of iPad are there now? We have iPad Mini, iPad, iPad Air, and iPad Pro. We are talking about just the baseline iPad at 329. It has been updated. That's pretty much it, by the way. it's 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 been updated that's it the end go home no the the processor is slightly newer has a little bit more ram it has it's doubled the storage now still starts at 329 it is what it is the ipad mini got an ipad air like update it's now an 8.3 inch screen, still LCD. It is running the latest A15 Bionic chip. Except it's not. We'll get to that later in a bit, though. It does have USB-C. Apple has decided that they will go ahead and use a real port on this iPad mini. Unlike the regular iPad, which still has its Frankenstein terrible connector that nothing should ever use frickin' ever. It does feature 5G connectivity, which, by the way, the iPad Air does not for $100 more. It does not have a headphone jack. So one step forward, one step back. And it costs $4.99. I have conflicting opinions about this iPad mini. Of all the tablet form factors I've used from the iPad ecosystem, the mini is my favorite. The full-size iPads, like the iPad Air, the iPad Pro, and of course the baseline iPad, they're manageable, they're fine. But the smaller form factor of the iPad mini, I felt was the best. And it actually saddened me that the iPad mini has pretty much been neglected for like the last four years. But the fact that the iPad mini is now $500 starting price, 
It's a bit of a hard pill to swallow. And you actually have noticed this. The iPad, the iPad Air, when it got its iPad Pro-like update, it also went up in price. It's not just about, oh, hey, look, we're running, you know, a newer processor and also chip shortage. Like, this sort of, this sort of thing started with just the redesign as a whole. The iPad Mini also does not have the face-detecting RealSense camera like the iPad Pro does. It actually has a fingerprint reader built into the power button. Why this fingerprint reader is not in the iPhones yet is still a mystery to me. But here's another thing to consider. Let's pretend you actually were in the market for an iPad. You have the baseline iPad, which starts at 329. And honestly, I would not fault anyone for going for it. Because it is a solid design. The iPad Air and the iPad Pro both during durability tests have been snapped in half because right in the middle of the frame on both of these is a microphone hole and the opposite side, a hunk of plastic where the stylus connects. These nice, sleek-looking tablets, pretty much if you're giving them to anyone that's going to be traveling with them frequently, I would strongly recommend a durable case, which then takes away some of the elegance of having those higher-end iPads. But you get the USB-C, or in the case of the iPad Pro, you get usb four or lightning or whatever the heck we're calling it nowadays and then you get an overkill of a processor and having that apple m1 chip in it with like 16 gigs of ram or something really ridiculous so let's pretend the ipad pro is out of your price range and you're considering you the ipad or the ipad mini why would you get the ipad air when it's using a last-gen chip only has 4G and because it's bigger that means there's more surface area for a catastrophic failure to happen. The way Apple updated the iPad Mini The iPad Air is basically obsolete unless you want to go ahead and get a hilariously overpriced Apple-branded keyboard case for it. That's it. The only reason to get the iPad Air is that you can spend an additional $200 on your $600 tablet to have not a laptop. Well, why the heck didn't you just get a laptop then?
And of course, that's assuming that someone doesn't make something for the iPad mini since, you know, all you need is Bluetooth to get a keyboard connected to the iPad mini. Or you could just also admit the fact that an iPad is not a computer. It is a tablet with a limited computing experience. You can be in denial all you want. I'm not wrong. You are not going to be able to do as much on an iPad as you can on a real computer powered by Windows, powered by Mac OS, or powered by pick a flavor of Linux. I don't care how much apple juice you drank this morning. I'm not wrong. So that's the iPad mini. And you know what the sad thing is? The iPad mini was the star of the show. Let that sink in for a moment. The iPad mini stole the show. Because while Apple had that, the iPhone was everything we expected. The iPhone 13 is running a new processor that's 50% better than something. And 30% better graphics than something. But it does have a smaller notch. And it does have a more sophisticated autofocus that they're calling cinema mode. So you can virtually rack focus on various things. And AI will try to assume what you're doing. Which that won't get annoying at all. Oh yeah, the notch is smaller. But, you know, since I started this podcast in the first place to actually report on the news correctly and also have an outlet to rant as a pundit, um, ever since the iPhone 13 came out with a smaller notch, a lot of tech outlets have been talking about the notch is smaller. Do you think Apple should get rid of the notch? Dear every tech outlet ever. You need to see a neurologist. You have all appeared, you all appear to have suffered some kind of brain damage. That is the only conclusion I can come to because there is no possible way You could be that stupid and not be suffering some kind of of brain damage. No, the notch shouldn't be there. 
at all. It is aesthetically terrible. And it is actually better to just put a bar up there. Maybe even space out the components so you can put a narrower bar at the top and practically have the entire notch be actually invisible rather than having this Pac-Man chunk missing out of the screen. We have been dealing with this Pac-Man chunk missing for four years now. Actually, I think going on five. 10, 10S, 11, 12, yeah, it, it's five. I get that you've kind of suffered from Stockholm Syndrome after accepting the notch in your life for five years or four, depending on how we count. I'm not sure. I'm not sure at all. But no, it shouldn't be there. A chunk of your screen missing is still a chunk of your screen missing. Just because you have told yourself for this long that it's fine doesn't mean that it's fine. Oh yeah, by the way, the iPhone 13 rearranged its cameras because the um, the image stabilization method they used on the iPhone 13 is done in such a way that they need more space. I personally don't care that they rearrange the holes on the back of their phone. I really, really don't. Speaking of that notch, you know what I wish Apple would just do? And I admit that the only reason I think about this is because of the sheer number of Twitch streamers that go VTuber and are now looking for used iPhones just to work a hack into the iPhone so that they can use that real sense camera that's built in for face ID to scan their face. I really wish Apple or someone would just release a more, a more modern version of that face scanning hardware as a standalone device. I think that would just be a huge benefit, at least to the VTuber community. No more having to hack your frickin' phone to try and send a signal over to over to the computer via Wi-Fi or via a wired connection that ends up having a delay and you have to compensate for all of that. Just, just give me the flipping camera. And then get rid of my notch. And also, while we're at it, just put a fingerprint reader in the frickin' power button already. You've done it on the iPads. It's now been a year where we've now found ourselves having to wear masks so Face ID doesn't work at all. Just put in both. Give us the option. Ah, 
there's one more problem with the iPhone 13, but we're going to get to that after we talk about the iPhone 13 Pro. The iPhone 13 Pro also got a bit of a spec bump. It has an updated camera. The camera notch actually, or the camera notch, the um, the rear bump for the, the camera looks the same until you realize it actually has gotten bigger. The quality of the camera has increased, but quite possibly the biggest update the iPhone 13 got, excluding color, because I don't really care about color. You, you want to really actually text me off about the colors? Here's the colors. Here's the colors for the iPhone 13. Graphite, gold, silver, and Sierra blue. That gold color, maybe it's just my screen and their website, but that gold color looks about as gold as my hand is gold. There's that for starters. Second, what the heck is Sierra Blue? But no, the the biggest feature of the iPhone 13 Pro is the ability to, to record in ProRes. This is a file format for video that is massive, but you can in fact use in high-end movie editors or Adobe Suite to dial in all kinds of nice, small, um, what's the right word I'm looking for? Details of the footage you've shot. And a lot of people are saying that this finally makes the iPhone Pro line actually pro. And of course, to compensate for this, because these files can be massive, the 64 gigabyte model is gone from both iPhones, and the iPhone 13 Pro goes all the way up to one terabyte of capacity in the phone. Although I would argue what would make the iPhone 13 Pro way more pro is including a micro SD card slot. I'm just saying. Pro cameras have an SD card slot to store store the footage you've shot to go ahead and quickly edit it. No need to worry about transfer speeds. But <laughs> heaven forbid that Apple adds anything to their elegant design. But here's the biggest crime that Apple has committed here. The iPhone 13 and the iPhone 13 Pro still use the lightning port. Do you know what the data speeds are on the lightning port? They are USB 2 speeds. 
not USB 2.1, not USB anything helpful, USB 2. You basically have to, and I do mean have to, get your data off via Wi-Fi sync or to have the data go from the phone over your cell data to consume that data or if you're lucky over Wi-Fi, assuming you catch it in time to do that, to your iCloud and then have iCloud sync that over to the computer you're actually going to go ahead and do real work on. When we were trying to figure out what the iPhone 13 was going to have, one of the predictions I had was that the iPhone 13 was not going to have the lightning port. It was going to have no port and charge only through MagSafe. MagSafe is still here, by the way. Don't worry. But then the iPhone 13 Pro would have switched to use USB-C. I wish they listened to me. And people would have been angry that they would have done it to the iPhone 13. But holy cow, that would have made way more sense than keeping the lightning connector that they clearly want to make extinct. They clearly want this port to die. Because if they wanted to stick around, the iPad mini would still have it. The iPad Air would still have it. But no, the iPhone... 13 for whatever reason still has it well okay I know exactly why the iPhone 13 still has it because this isn't the iPhone 13 you know it I know it this isn't the iPhone 13 this is the iPhone 12 S. This was an S upgrade, but Apple doesn't want to use that S moniker anymore because it's pretty much had the negative, the the negative tone of, oh, it's just the, it's just the talk upgrade. It's just the little step up to hold us off for the real juice. that's all, all we got was a bit of a tweak in the camera a software update for the iPhone 13 Pro to handle ProRes upgraded storage and a smaller notch that's it And the funny thing is, it's hard to say whether this would be the case or not, but I'm willing to bet if they announced that both of these phones ran USB-C, 
we would have praised Apple. It would have suddenly made everything else they made about the about this phone a huge monumental change, even though it's all just slightly incremental. Kind of funny how that one little change might have made a drastic difference. Chat says that everyone had to gotten new accessories. Yeah, they could have just sold. Uh, they 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 would have pretty much the only thing that would have had to change, like had to had to change. Is that Apple had to shift to selling USB-C to headphone jack adapters. And that's it. Although they probably already sell those. Since the iPad mini, iPad Air, and iPad Pro all don't have headphone jacks. I don't think they would have had to have invented any new accessories. What other accessories would even use the Lightning? It's just chargers and audio connection, right? Because everything else now is wireless. Oh, yeah, by the way, the iPhone 13 does not include a charger. They're sticking to that gun, whether we like it or not. But there is one more thing. The Apple Watch Series 7. A new design of the Apple Watch that contains a smaller bezel on the screen. That actually might be a bigger update than the iPhone 13. There is like almost no bezel. What I will say is a crime though is one of the watch faces they have on it. I'm trying to find it, and they're only showing it from the side, is absolutely awful. They decide to have, like, all the numbers for the clock. They're only showing it from the side, too. And just have have it wrap as tightly around the edge as possible, because it has, like, this curved glass effect on the edges. And the numbers get slightly bigger when the hour hand is near them. I cannot stress this enough. I hate that watch face. I hate it so much. But they're also very proud of the fact they have updated some of the UI. The buttons and whatnot are now bigger to fit the bigger screen because why the heck wouldn't you? There's even a swipe keyboard on the watch. Someone says that someone in chat says the the calculator looks exactly like the one in Android. It actually does. It does look very close to the one in Android. Kind of like how Android has this fancy swipe keyboard. By the way, uh, that swipe keyboard. Linus Tech Tips. And their uh, 
their out their uh tech news outlet uh TechLinked made a uh bit of a interesting little discovery. Flick type was a default was a uh, optional keyboard you could install on the um on the Apple Watch which was a full QWERTY keyboard that had the swipe technology in it. Apple rejected their keyboard and said, hello, we are writing to let you know about new information regarding your app. FlickType keyboard version 4.3 currently live on the App Store. Upon reevaluating, we found that your app is not in compliance with the app with the App Store review guidelines. Specifically, we found colon we noticed that your app does not satisfy the requirements outlined in the Apple iOS human interface guidelines. Specifically, the app is a keyboard for Apple Watch. For this reason, your app will be removed from sale on the App Store at this time. If you have any questions about this information, please reply to this message and let us know. Best regards, Apple Store Review. This was publicly shared by the by one of the leads at flick type I'd say come on Apple you didn't even give them a reason but you didn't even give them you gave them nothing So um yeah Flicktype has said that uh we're going to see we're going to see Apple in court and as someone in the chat just said Apple's going to get away with it that's the worst thing about this Ugh Apple some days Some days Apple just makes you feel dirty to be very, very associated with them. By the way, on um, back to that whole A15 Bionic. Some people have noticed. Oh, dang, this is the wrong article with it. Some people have noticed that uh, there's something funky about that A15 Bionic chip. The, one, the, A, the version of the A15 Bionic inside the iPhone 13 Pro has one more GPU core than it does in the iPhone 13 and the A15 Bionic that's in the iPad mini performs about 5% worse than it does in the iPhone 13 and 13 Pro. I hate it when when Intel calls a 15 watt chip a Core i7 and then also calls a 45 watt mobile chip a Core i7 and then calls a 65 watt desktop chip a Core i7 and then a 130 watt chip also a Core i7 because it gives the implication 
that the Core i7 and that little 12-inch, two-pound laptop you bought can come remotely close to what that gaming rig can do. And of course, that's not the case. But at least in Intel's case, there is at least a model number associated with the Core i7 to let you know that the performance is different as long as you know what to look for. There's none of that here with the A15 Bionic. It's just these things run the A15 Bionic. Their performance should be the same, but they're not. It's not major, but it's still really, really annoying. I think we're, I was going to take another break, but we're just going to power on through and you know what? I think we're just going to let Xiaomi's stuff just become quick bullet points here. Xiaomi has introduced a new set of smart glasses of which are just like Facebook's, except one of their lenses actually has a transparent display in it. And these smart glasses actually run on Android. They weigh 51 grams actually have a micro LED display built into the into the one lens that is transparent. You can see through it. A five megapixel camera on the front, a quad core arm presser, a quad core arm processor, a battery, a touchpad on the frame, Wi-Fi, Bluetooth. It is basically everything you would expect in smart glasses. So therefore I cannot wait for this thing to be hilariously expensive and instantly be judged by every single security expert out there for being smart glasses. Soon everyone with glasses will be judged for being spies. Everyone. I'm telling you, this is going to get very, very interesting once most mainstream outlets start realizing that smart glasses are back. Xiaomi also introduced two new smartphones, the 11T and the 11T Pro. Um, For the most part, the biggest thing of note with these is the absolutely eye-searing 120 watt fast charger that is included with these two phones everything else is just yeah okay pretty good camera a pretty good pretty good processor oh hey the pro has the snapdragon 888 which is the best snapdragon there is etc 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 120 hertz refresh rate etc etc 120 watt charging this sucker assuming it doesn't catch fire can go from empty to full in 20 minutes 
at least from what I remember re remember hear hearing about. I'm trying to find where it is in the article. It does not say. That is ridiculous. That is absolutely ridiculous. By the way, although fast charging sounds great, the faster you charge a device like that, the quicker the battery loses capacity. At 120 watts, it would not surprise me at all if after one year, assuming that nothing catastrophic happens, after one year, it would not surprise me if this battery has one-tenth of the original battery life it had. It would not surprise me at all. It is also for this reason that you see a lot of other phone manufacturers try to push fast charging as a feature. Because when the battery goes out faster and you don't have the expertise to go in and slice open your glass sandwich to go replace the battery, what are you going to do? You're, you're going to get a new one. There has been talks about Android getting a feature to restrict this kind of charging and only, only go up to 80% to preserve the battery life. Yes. Yes, please. Because this is getting ridiculous. 120 watt charger. My freaking thin and light tablet doesn't even take a freaking... It, it has a 60 watt charger. No, it has a 45 watt charger. <sighs> Xiaomi also introduced the Pad 5, which possibly could be a Android tablet that actually is helpful. We'll just have to wait and see. This one, however, only has a pathetic, measly, insignificant 22 and a half watt charging, which is clearly unacceptable, despite the fact I just ripped on a 120 watt charger. No, that charging is absolutely fine. But will this one actually compete with the iPad mini? We already saw Samsung try to compete with the iPad mini with their own, and that pretty much went nowhere because no one wanted to spend 500 bucks on an Android tablet. Xiaomi also introduced a smart projector. We'll see how that goes. And also a smart home system with their Mesh AX3000 system we'll just have to wait and see how that goes all neat and all that jazz nintendo has realized something there is a bluetooth chip inside the switch which can be used for bluetooth audio but it has not been enabled for that until now you can now finally Use your Bluetooth headset or earbuds with your Nintendo Switch. Or, you know, you can continue to use the headphone jack because Nintendo actually lets you have ports. Unlike your phone. Feels bad. 
Intel may be refreshing its CPU coolers to be taller and cooler. We'll just have to see if that is the case. I don't have a whole lot of time to go into it now, but could be neat, might not be. We're not sure. Walmart was the victim of a uh, a bit of market manipulation. Someone tried to put out a false report saying that Walmart is accepting Litecoin, which then forced the price of Litecoin to go higher. Gee, I wonder why someone would do that. Maybe because there was a giant... Uh, could it be that they just went ahead and bought a bunch of Litecoin? Put out a fake report, had a bunch of people run with it that Walmart was accepting Litecoin, caused the price of Litecoin to skyrocket, quickly do a sell-off, and then Walmart very quickly went and said, hey, we're not doing that, stop that. And then just be like, heh, got him again. And then people wonder why we don't trust cryptocurrencies. It's fine that it's an unregulated currency that anyone can get a hold of. No one would ever go and try to manipulate its price at all. No! That would never happen. So what if there's no backbone to it other than everyone's GPUs and gamer tiers? It's fine. Crypto's fine. I'm sorry if the sound of my eyes rolling got picked up by the microphone. MIT physicists believe they are closer to actually obtaining fusion power. So either around the corner is very cheap, very reliable energy or doom I don't know enough to speak intelligently about this I just thought it was cool kind of (laughs) this one in chat said win win wow (laughs) wow meanwhile We now have internet via lasers. Tara Wireless Optical Communication has successfully accomplished high-speed broadband connection over the Congo River by using lasers. Not over any kind of cable. By actually using an optical laser beam through the stratosphere across the river in the future your communication will come over via lasers someone in chat asked how is this new it's because it's not over a radio band. It is not over a cable that's, that's shooting a laser through the fiber optic cable. It is just straight up. Fired through the stratosphere. With only air in the way. Just using 
lasers. However, that brings us to the last burb, the last story of the day, the weirdest story of the week. The true sign that we are in the future. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you Half Dive, the world's first bed-mounted VR headset. Now, I'm just going to let your imagination run with why you would want a VR headset specifically for when you're in bed. Well, I'll I'll just let you piece that together. You, You go ahead and invent whatever you want. You're all thinking the exact same thing we all are. But I mean, there could be other not pornographic reasons for this headset to exist. It, it could be for games like um, like uh, the MMOs that uh, use your connection while in 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 the bed so that you can walk in place (laughs) i got nothing (laughs) yeah yeah for the low low price of 800 dollars for the base model and for the full-blown set costing upwards of four thousand dollars you too can go ahead and Enjoy the next generation of Pornhub. Folks, that is going to do it for this episode of Eagle Eyes on Tech. Thank you so much for listening. And I do encourage you to check out our other outlets. And hopefully we'll catch you the next time we are live. Take care. Well, not just live, but you, you know what I mean. It's been a long day. Take care, and I hope you have a great day. Bye-bye. So we have a bed-mounted VR headset for full immersive things. We'll just 
phrase it like that things. And then at the same time, we have Final Fantasy XIV announcing a limited edition Yestola doll. Could there be a connection? I mean, now that I've said it, there will be. There, there just will be. It is inevitable. 